I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 416. Just nailing in that nine ten start for you guys. We're working with Missy Gannon, uh, who's going to be joining us in just a few moments. Internet hasn't fully developed in Iowa yet, so we're... <laughs> They're working on pulling those cables. <laughs> they are, no. Uh, but that was a, a little bit of the reason for the delay, but thank you guys for your patience. Of course, we're here. It's Tuesday night, so that means it's Smashbox time. And uh, in fact, I think we're not even going to try and delay this any anymore. No, we've got the champ. Get right to it. We're about to play an interview with Missy Gannon. If it's got some audio issues in it, and if you want to skip ahead about thirty minutes and skip all the Missy Gannon audio stuff, um, please go ahead and do that. Catch us on the flip side of that. Let's have her now, Missy Gannon. Hey, Missy, how are you doing? Hello. How are you? Apologize for the internet problems all all good it's all okay good. it's okay uh, we're, we're gonna do our best and we'll let the world know that uh of course we'd love to have you for the duration as much as we can but if it gets a little too choppy or un- unbearable for you we'll uh we'll be okay with cutting you loose um hopefully we don't have to so uh first of all yeah it's a really sweet, kind gesture, but you didn't have to go get your hair all done up for us tonight. I mean, that's you, you're doing some work over there in Des Moines, aren't you? It looks nice. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, shorter than usual, um, but they've had this really cool setup at the challenge. A local um, barber and hairdresser came out to sort of give us a nice free service for all of us, um, you know, ragging disc golf pro, uh, <laughs> pro professionals. 
Um, so yeah, it's been really cool, and I just kind of let her whatever she wants, as long as it still uh, put it in a little bit of a ponytail and wear a hat. Then I was happy with whatever she gave me. So yeah, I love it. It came out great. It yes, certainly. <laughs> and I saw your post earlier today. Uh, normally, we don't go to something as as uh, superficial as looks and and outfits, but right. uh, I saw your post today, and you said that you think there's going to be a number of disc golfers that might uh, get a little cleaned up here this weekend. Now, was that yeah. the case last weekend? Because behind the fly mart, this sounds funny. I realize, but at the end of a cul-de-sac behind the fly mart. There was somebody giving haircuts, like, almost out in a field. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but maybe this is something new. Is there any correlation? Yeah, apparently there was also the same setup at, at uh, Ledgestone, but I had already made the appointment for Des Moines, <laughs> so I was like, you know, let them take care, take care of me. But, yeah, apparently same thing at, at Ledgestone. All right. So next time you need a haircut, just go to a fly mart, find the uh, a field at the end of the cul-de-sac, and uh, hopefully there's somebody there with a stool and some clippers, and you get yourself a haircut. You should have done that, Miller. Don't worry about me. All right, Missy. So congratulations uh, taking down such an incredible event, a four-round event on two very different courses that challenge so many different facets of your game. This has to feel like such a well-rounded win, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like if you're going to call yourself one of the best in the world, um, this is one of those events that you're able to kind of showcase every aspect of your game. Uh, and yeah, it's one event that I felt like I could always win, but never quite got it done. And even... Back in 2018, when I first joined the tour, uh, Ledgestone was the first lead card I had ever made. Um, So uh, I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of history there for me. And um, it's always been one that I would uh, always look forward to to trying trying the best at. And um, I felt like it was within reach. So to to finally do it was, uh, man, it was... uh, yeah, a really special one to take down. Well, and we talk about things like flow state and in the zone and blacking out, all sorts of, you know, different ways that people describe when they're, you know, really feeling it on the course. Would would you use any of those phrases? Uh did did you get into that mindset or mentality or was your mind maybe even elsewhere as you were uh, you know, closing out the last couple of rounds even? You know, I think it was closer to um, almost what I imagine. You know, I always remember hearing like Paige and Katrina and people talking about like what it felt like to battle with the on their card. Um, and I think that final round, especially, I had no idea really what we were scoring on each hole I just knew how many I was losing or how many I was gaining and that was pretty much it you know what I'm saying so like it was um it was a weird feeling uh, I remember walking from hole five to being like I was almost thinking like I was kind of shooting myself out of it and I'm talking about that after hole six after hole five like 
how could I be thinking like that so early on? But, you know, I had already given up a few strokes to all, all of my car mates uh, at that point. And I think it was, um, it was I, you know, pretty much through the best, best drive of the whole group. Um, after kind of recuperating, realizing like, what are you doing? You know, count yourself out yet. You're gonna, you're on the box right now, but you're gonna, you're about to throw, uh, you know, one of the best drives. Um, and I ended up doing that and actually getting the only birdie on that hole out of my car. So I think the turning point feeling like maybe I had to doubt myself a little to be able to push myself to, um, <laughs> you know, cut it out and and start pushing and actually, you know, you know, get everything together and and uh, you know, stop stop thinking those negative thoughts. I guess. You know, and and it's interesting you say that uh, as you talk about whether it's hole five or hole six or really almost anywhere on that course because significant stroke swings, you know, you think about a lot of holes where you're like, okay, somebody might two, somebody might three, you know, we might see a stroke or two, or maybe an OB, you know, gives a two stroke swing, but we've seen it. Unfortunately, there could be a five stroke swing on a hole out on that course. It could be a par four and you could literally see a five stroke swing. So does that intensify the feelings knowing like, Man, this thing isn't over till it's over. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially feel like uh, early on, it was um, a couple of two-stroke swings that had happened, whether they were not in my favor or then in my favor. Um, it was really kind of hard to keep track in a way. It was. Um, I felt like everybody was was gaining or giving. At, on almost every other hole or something like that, and. Um, uh, there was even one point towards the end of the round where I, I really had no idea what, if it was Kristen or if it was Paige or, you know, all of a sudden I'm hearing about, you know, and Lisa on charge. So it was confusing and really kind of hard to keep track of. But luckily, you know, I have Tom there to sort of manage that part of it. Um, there was po- one point where I was like, am I worried about Paige right now? And he kind of looked at me almost like, uh, almost like confused because it was like not even Paige at that point. It was, it was, <laughs> and it was own and Lisa, you know, it wasn't even, Paige wasn't even in the conversation at that point, but I had no idea um, who I was worried about. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, it was crazy. It, uh, it was really Well, it looks like, okay. Yeah. You were saying it was crazy because you were unsure. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, we've seen a little more frequently. Yeah. Or I know they've always been out there, but I feel like really this weekend they're more uh, prevalent than ever is seeing the on course leaderboards as well being Mm -hmm. huffed around. I'll say, I mean, that's no easy task. So do you ever glance at that? Because that shows the score. I know everybody talks about whether they look on their phone or not, but then there's a a leaderboard that's Mm -hmm. right there in front of you. And I know I looked at Paige as she was staring at it at one point. Do do you find yourself Mm -hmm. glancing at it or do you purposely try not to look at that either? I actually, I've found myself looking at it more than I had ever 
looked at it <laughs> before because like I said, I was so confused who exactly I was really with at any point in the event. You know, I knew it was mostly Paige during the first like front nine or, or so, but then all of a sudden it was, it really wasn't her anymore. Um, and it was Chris and I was having to worry about. So I looked at that about a handful of times, um, which is a handful of more than I ever look at it any other I had been card battling, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot. Uh, we, fair or not, when we talk about quality of FPO wins, the very first thing that gets mentioned is, well, is is Kristen there? Is Evelina there? Is Hannah there? You know, in addition to all of our top-rated FPO competitors. Does this one feel a- as uh, tough as any other win that you could think of? Uh, really, just Hannah and Evelina aren't there, and who knows how they would play, of course. But this is is this as tough of a field as you, you could expect to go up against? I, I would say so. I mean, obviously, I feel like um, Evelina, you know, had been playing really well up until... Europe and um, obviously, and then um, obviously, she sort of got out of that early. Early, really coming, coming, really, uh, you know, charging. Um, and I think getting her game back to where we all pretty much back um, I think this maybe her kind of you know, Evelina was really gaining that momentum coming the year. Um, but other than other than that, I, I think yeah, the field couldn't have been really much more uh, you know much stronger, um, given that you know uh, Kristen had made her comeback. Uh, maybe still not a hundred percent. We've all heard her you know talk about how she is cleared to play and all, but she's obviously still battling that um, that elbow injury. So. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's one of the largest fields that we that we have um, at Ledgestone, um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, I couldn't imagine. I, I think so far it's been one of the strongest fields that I've had that I've won against. I wins maybe besides the Pro Tour Championship, but that's a that's a hard one to to sort of compare to. Yeah, well. You have a uncanny knack to win the biggest ones with the most money. <laughs> uh, you've got right. uh, what? Throw pink. You've got the Pro Tour Championship, and now Ledgestone mm-hmm. is. Are there three bigger payouts? Yeah, uh, that's not a bad. Uh, that's not a bad habit to get into. <laughs> right, and even thinking about Des Moines Challenge at the time last mm-hmm. year, I think it was one of the highest um, oh, yeah. FPO. Uh, paychecks at the time so now that sort of becomes standard and if not more but uh but yeah it's i don't know i mean that's okay with me i suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah if you're only gonna win a few of them make them the big ones <laughs> right tom tom hank show me the money i don't know i just thinking you you're waiting for those uh those huge checks to show up and then you're like all right i'm just gonna slide into the uh on top of the podium on this one i love it <laughs> yeah now, uh, speaking of which, let's talk just briefly about the, you know, whether you call it momentum or just uh, nothing more than a, than a coincidence that uh, 
you're now in Des Moines. Last year, you, of course, won Des Moines. At the time, that was your biggest victory to date. Then you went on to win Throw Pink as well. But at the time, that was your biggest victory to date. And now, man, talk about riding these feels, the vibes, whatever the kids say these days, as you're rolling back into Des Moines and you've got a title to defend. Yeah. 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 You know, coming here was, you know, honestly, (laughs) to be really honest, it felt um, even more of like a, you know, winning Ledstone already felt like a weight kind of lifted off my shoulders because there obviously were a lot of um, high expectations coming into the season in general. And, you know, I've had a relatively successful season in my opinion, uh, but I I finally have secured at least one elite series. sort of feels like a a little bit um, less pressure, uh, a little bit of pressure lifted at least. So coming into Des Moines, having one ledgestone right right before sort of lifts the pressure off of defending my title at Des Moines away. Um it's really hard to go to and defend your title year, you know, year after year. I mean, um even the best in our sport have a hard time doing that, um, especially nowadays. So um, you know, I'm not really giving too much thought into it. Uh, would I love to win Des Moines championships, of course. Would I love to go back to back and win, you know, uh, last year and then this year? Yes, of course. But um, I do understand and realize that that's still really hard to do. And um, but yeah, in fact, this course has a lot of a lot of good feels. A lot of it's really cool to meet again and kind of see the progression of my. Um, my personal play and, you know, maybe what I wish I could have done last year, even though it did end up working out my favor. You know, there were a few things that I was like, man, I wish I could have played this hole better or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of feelings going on, but it's certainly not like I have to earn this event. Um, while, although I am trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, to, to follow all that up, I think about, the course you play at sunset, very scorable, a, a, a tad maybe on the shorter side, but very scorable and what feels like a little bit shorter. Then you go to Northwood, totally opposite feel, all these tight lines, and clearly you can score on that course, but very uh, lots of opportunity for uh, any kind of scores there. Now, you, so you have those two courses dialed in, you take down the, the victory, and now compare and contrast that to what you're going to go see at Pickard. You know, if somebody maybe isn't mm-hmm. familiar with the Des Moines Challenge or what that course offers, set that up and kind of compare to what you, mm-hmm. the courses you just left. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, it, 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 other than the fact that Sunset is on a traditional golf course, it has very similar feeling to it in the sense that it's got rolling, you know, greens. Um, there's water, there's downhill shots, there's, you know, uphill shots, there's left bending shots, right bending shots. It's, um, it's, it's, 
it just feels like you're on this big selling property that has um, beautiful hills and big trees and rough, rough, but, you know, very fair, fairways and um, extremely manicured. It's just a really beautiful place to play um, and pretty much has uh, has it all. It has the wide shots. It has the technical tighter line. Um, like I said, it has right Right turning fairways, left turning fairways. Um, it's a uh, it's a really beautiful combination of of um, everything you could really ask for in a disc golf. Um, I, I haven't heard really many people uh, not liking Pickard Park. Um, I think because I think it has so much variety in it, and it really doesn't cater to any one particular player um you know i i think it's just a, a place that people really look forward to coming back to and i think especially after last year having it come back on tour and then you know people i think really were excited to come back to your park this year and um yeah it's just a it's a really pretty property and has a lot of really good qualities to it if uh, and I'm excited for the world to see it because, as you said, it it is uh, so widely revered as uh, just a great course for so many reasons, uh, most of which you just explained. So, mm-hmm. how about on a personal level? Wh- who is Missy Gannon here? Uh, you know, August sixteenth compared to Missy Gannon of August sixteenth in 2021. What's what's the difference? <laughs> Besides all the biggest paychecks that you're that you're steal, <laughs> yeah. that you're stealing away from the rest of the division, uh, I don't and, call that stealing. Yeah, when earning, you beat them. that you're earning uh, <laughs> is a better word. Yes, you're nabbing them away from all of them. But um, you know what? What's the difference in in you or your game uh, a year later? Um, I think what was funny about last year is that I I really didn't feel out uh, chances here at Des Moines Challenge. Um, I think I remember playing the practice rounds and I remember thinking like, man, there are so many blind baskets and what are they doing here? And, you know, I still liked playing the course, but I certainly didn't feel extremely confident about uh, my abilities and how they match the course. I don't know what it was um, specifically, but um, just a little bit of like, you know, lack of self-confidence or something. I'm not really sure, but um, I certainly never played before. I, um, you know, it was new to me, so I, you know, maybe just a little bit um, unsure about my game. I'm not really sure what it was last year, but I think going into this year, um, not only do I have the confidence of being able to win on this track, but also I think I just have a lot more. Um, confidence in my my shots and my shot selection and my discs. Um, I pretty much feel like so many of the discs that I have in my bag right now, I have now had in the bag for, you know, roughly two to three years, um, especially some of my go-tos. So uh, that just overall helps um, so much, regardless of the course that you're playing. I just, I have a, a better grasp on my discs and my abilities with those discs and um, of course just um, 
you know, ability to win on this course, even with the lack of self-confidence um, maybe that I had last year. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, certainly, I've played one practice round so far uh, this morning, and there I, I surprised myself with some of the things that I maybe couldn't do last year. I, I found myself being able to do, whether it was being able to birdie hole 18, I think is a big one. I felt like I could not at all birdie it last year and obviously that's not a very good thing uh <laughs> to not be able to birdie the last hole of the tournament when you know you know you know that that very well could come down to the last hole um you, you gotta be able to just score on it um so to be able to do that it, uh is yeah it's just really cool to see the progress in my game so I, I won't let you cop out with the with the final putt. Not not that I know you would, but favorite memory, favorite shot, favorite shot <laughs> that you recall from last year's Des Moines Challenge when you took it down. Is there is there a shot that really comes to mind? Whether you impressed yourself, whether it was a just get out of jail, maybe it was a fifty footer to save bogey. I don't know, but the putt on eighteen to close it out. I mean, come I, on, I, that's what I just said. That's disqualified. <laughs> come you on, you can't use that one. That's the come obvious. On. So, outside of the final putt, um, what's the shot you remember the most from last year? Well, I think I didn't give it enough credit for how difficult the shot actually is. Um, as I remember watching, re-watching the coverage for the Disc Golf Network, uh, you know, like a, a Wednesday watch or something like that, and Paige had joined me to watch my final round mm-hmm. at uh, Des Moines. And I think I had mentioned how whole, what is it, whole think 11 um which for us probably a little bit easy but that's what i said in the coverage and she kind of corrected me and said well it's easy if you you know pipe your you know your your drive straight down the fairway but if you're off the fairway at all which is um you know easier to do i maybe gave it credit for um then you know you're you're scrambling for for par so um it is a shorter par four they did actually shorten the basket a little bit this from last year the shorter par four get a dead straight shot um and still get a lot of distance off the tee to have a more comfortable second shot to the to what was then a blind basket um and i think i birdie it birdied it um both rounds that we ended up playing and uh, maybe, yeah, something like that uh, where, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily give it enough credit, but um, it definitely gave other people some troubles. So my, my tee shot on hole 11 um, might be, might be one of them. <laughs> It's hard to remember. No, <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, I, and I, I can really appreciate, and I love the fact that, it was through Paige and her version of what she recalled 
and how she interpreted it and you know you guys watching and and maybe that's true the a shot you take for granted you're like oh yeah i threw a good shot you never thought about it but then when you realize mm-hmm. you know 60 percent of the fields off the fairway and you know and, yeah. and scrambled hard to to walk away with a par or a bogey or whatever the case is you you know again maybe you almost take that for granted and you don't realize oh damn that that was a pretty good shot and i made the hole easy uh where most people didn't so i i can certainly appreciate mm-hmm. that uh you you just mentioned a a short slightly shortened pin um any any other significant changes that jumped out at you from last year to this year's uh fpo configuration yeah, well, there are two um, completely new holes. Mm. Um, that's hole uh, three and hole 13. So um, both are very technical. Both are par threes. I think hole three is going to be very difficult um, to um, uh, slightly downhill through the woods, um, a lot of trees, a pretty um, specific hit. I think long, very straight forehand um, sort of has like a gentle, really no, uh, it has like a gentle fade, but it still has to like get pretty far out of a gap. I really, I'm curious what a lot of people are going to do on it. I personally am going to, you know, throw a backhand and, and kind of just hope that I, you know, don't ricochet too far off into the woods. I, it's still fair, fair way, but it's definitely a very specific line. Um, yeah, so, I see par being a very, um, you know, good score on hole. And then hole 13 is a downhill hole as well. Also, you have to hit a pretty tight gap if you want to just, um, you know, shoot the straight shot. Um, but there are other options potentially over the top um, and then down into the, the the baskets tucked into the woods and sort of um, off to the right. So, uh, again, kind of a very specific shot. And um, that one is being playing a little bit, um, being not as hard as, as hole three. And then just a couple of other just slight changes. I think hole four, it's no longer a part par four it's the par three where uh, last year we had we were able to kind of pitch to a landing zone and then over the water um, but there is the big pond all on the right side and now now it's more like the mpo um situation where you're sort of deciding how want to get and whether or not that bird is something that you want to you know push for and how to challenge the water on um, to get there i think it it says that the clock's in at like 4.30, I want to say, um, but pretty downhill. Um, and then, yeah, I think on hole 11 might be the last change that I can think of that uh, the basket is no longer blind. It's kind of, um, it's it's a little closer and on, on the hillside. So possibly making that, I, I feel like it's it's maybe more so for the, for the MPO pad because they were shooting from, they have like a very severe dog leg down the hill and i think a lot of people were like really just struggle struggling on that hole a lot of people were trying to cut the corner and, and kind of going into the rough um so maybe 
it's more for for the, for the MPO, but um, it just plays a bit just and um, possibly makes that approach shot a little bit more um, touchy, I guess. But I think that's pretty much it. Uh, as far as I can remember, I think everything else is pretty much the same. Otherwise. Okay. Uh, well, oh, and hold, uh, hold, hold one is a shorter T pet as well. Um, so possibly a little bit more scorable uh, as a, a starting hole for us. Awesome. I, and I was what I was going to follow that up is say is, you know, last year was the first year that we saw this as a pro tour event. Clearly the Des Moines area and club well-versed in running, you know, top-notch, uh, you know, high-caliber events, but also mm-hmm. great to see that even in its, you know, right away in its second year, probably some feedback, some statistics, you know, all sorts of things play into that. And then for them mm-hmm. to, you know, directly react and then make these changes, which everyone would hope and assume they're all for going to be for the better, um, is is mm-hmm. just a testament to you know, the pro tour and, and high level golf week in and week out and, and what's happening on the tour. And, uh, I think we can all applaud that. Yeah. I mean, the course looks great. And I think I know a few players that didn't play last year that are out here this year. And, um, even the, the feedback that I have either, you know, seen on, on social media or what, or whatever, um, you know, people seem to still really enjoy the course. Um, even seeing it for the time is you know some last year which uh particular players wouldn't necessarily know <laughs> so sure. um yeah still seems to be highly um regarded and and uh to play it all right. And as we start to wrap up here, uh, your signal continues to be a little bit challenged, although we can hear you, but we're going to probably wrap up. So uh, th- that uh, <laughs> I was going to say, so your voice doesn't get choppy, but I guess that's uh, on the Internet. Uh, m- one of my questions, though, is uh, relatively and I-, I know I'll put this in quotes, maybe air quotes, but relatively short commute uh, from Ledgestone over to Des Moines this week, uh, I-, I feel like. Maybe expand on that. Talk about you know what that feels like to have you know this midwestern jaunt you know down down I eighty for the most part, right? Uh, any issues? Yeah. Uh, what was travel like for you? Smooth sailing, no, no issues. Thankfully, um, so far the entire year has been very smooth for us. I know other camper lifers and van lifers have had some. Vehicle issues, um, we have yet to encounter any of those. So, yeah, super quick. Um, checked into our campground. We're he gotten haircuts and practice round in. So, uh, yeah, very, uh, very easy. And I'm looking forward to getting another practice round in tomorrow morning. Uh, all right. So, with that, tell me. You, you you get the fresh new haircut, safe, easy travels, uh, checked in, practice round, more practice to come, winning the largest check of the year, uh, going to defend a title. Tell me, how does life get any better for you, Missy? It's for pre- it's pretty great right now. I'm I you know I'm I remember what it was like um, when I first started touring. And I always think about that and I, I, it always humbles me to remember, you know, how it all started, um, how diff had been and, you know, just being able to sort of, 
you know, realize how much the, the hard work and the perseverance has paid off is, uh, you know, I think just a testament to Tom just sticking it out and roughing it and, you know, really grinding as we all always hear uh, disc golfers, Tom, you know, I'm always humble. I'm always grateful and uh, I'm never going to stop pushing. So uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I, I just love being, I love doing what we're doing and um, you know, can't wait to see what else, uh, what else hopefully comes our way. Yeah. And by R, you mean uh, you and Tom and Tom, uh, another big birthday shout out. I know he got uh, the full treatment at the end of the round uh, earlier in the weekend. Yeah, that. But he also had uh, hundreds of people singing to him uh, after the round was done. And rightfully so. So big, uh, another big happy birthday to him as well. Uh, a, A great, what an incredible weekend all around, huh? Yeah, for sure. Very, very happy. And yeah, just looking forward to the next one and just hoping that we can uh, continue to have fun out here and, and love what we're doing. And, um, you know, yeah, keep, keep hopefully talking to you because that means I'm doing good. Yeah, well, you're welcome anytime. You don't have to win, but it it may if you finish fourth and then we have you, some people might think it's weird, but you are welcome anytime. Uh, all right, so as we cut you loose here officially, uh, please you know get your plugs, your shout outs, your your sponsor thanks, and then how anyone can support you and the ways that they could go about doing. So uh, d- don't be shy about them. Share them with the world. I mean, yeah, the best way to support me is um, through my sponsors. Um, you know, everybody pretty much has something that helps support me that um, that's why I represent them. So, you know, Discraft, you know, go to Discraft or pick up a tour series disc at your local retailer. Um, also, Grip Equipment, um, some of the best in the market. So uh, definitely go check them out. Also, Whale Sacks, it's I know I heard people talking, you know, what's that thing that she holds in her hand and then, you know, throws on the ground every time she tees off. That's a whale sack. That's a, a clay, clay bag. That's a handmade, um, you know, women owned business and, uh, yeah, go check them out. I have some signature whale sacks on there. Um, and, you know, um, uh, Ledgestone, of course, you know, I, my first year representing Ledgestone and I get to take down their flagship event. So that's awesome. And they have a lot of my, um, my gear and, uh, you know, on their website, shopledgestone.com. And then finally, Good Seltzer. Um, they're a really small seltzer company. Um, it is hard seltzer, but they, uh, they support, um, helping children with illnesses and terminal illnesses um, find um, uh, rescue animals and um, support animals, um, specifically support dogs to help them. Um, so they do really good things. And if you can find good, good good dog seltzer. They're mainly in the Northeast and in Florida right now, but they're hoping to expand. So yeah, good dog seltzer, go support. Well, that's it. And then- Tom, as always, and all my friends and family. Of course, well. Throughout the entire season. (laughs) 
Uh, you you certainly have uh, an incredible support network, and uh, I think the entire world knows that it's easy to support you and uh, to get behind uh, all the hard work and the energy and the effort and the the presence that you put out there on the course, on and off the course. And uh, yet again, we got to say congratulations on an awesome performance this weekend. And uh, looking forward, I'll personally be in the booth. Johnny will be pressing buttons, but I'll be in the booth in Bend uh, alongside Valerie Jenkins calling the shots and looking forward to you uh, going out there and defending that title in Des Moines. So uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Congrats yet again and uh, best of luck this upcoming weekend. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully next time I join you, I'll have a better internet connection, but uh, well, I'll be we, back. <laughs> next week after after you win Des Moines again, come back next week uh, from a better internet. Yeah, spot. you'll probably yeah. own your own cell tower by then with all the, <laughs> with all the checks you keep yeah. cashing. Uh, for sure. All right. We appreciate you. Right. Take care. Good night. Thanks a lot, Bye. Missy. See ya. Missy Gannon. <laughs> for whether you could or couldn't hear her. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you to Missy and thank you to everyone. Uh, we understand that was yeah. probably a little bit choppy I, for some of you. I've got one bad ear. And if I can make out what she's saying, then I, I feel like most of you should be able to as well. As, as, although it might be a little bit stressful on the ear. Yeah. I, I want to just do something really quick. Um, we're, we're just going to, what, what time is it now? Nine, nine, 48, nine central. So, so we've been on for 30 minutes. So, uh, we're about to play an interview with Missy Gannon. If it's got some audio issues in it, and if you want to skip ahead about 30 minutes and skip all the Missy Gannon audio stuff, um, please go ahead and do that. Catch us on the flip side of that. I'm going to take that and push it into the front of the show before. So, and then we'll be able to just people to skip through if they don't want to hear it because some people don't like it. I get really frustrated when I listen to a podcast with bad audio in general. Um, I, I really it it, uh, it I'll tend to skip it or, or burn through sure. interviews like that. So wow. we'll we'll I'll take that little clip. I'll move it to before and we'll be good to go. Wow, man. Producing Live. directing and I do and it all cutting time. and editing all these things all these buttons you press car repair tomorrow I hope <laughs> yeah too. Ray says Johnny with next level editing skills <laughs> I don't know if it's next paste. level when you when you tell everybody what you're doing but no we'll, that's, we'll, that's yeah, even more that's like third next level yes. oh you're you're playing like 4D chess I am what, that that's, what they say? that's what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> has anybody ever accused you of being too smart too smart for my own good Okay, but not too smart. Uh, probably not. <laughs> okay. Just wondering. All right. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So since we are talking all things Ledgestone, as I uh, momentarily uh, in talking to Missy was also seeing that she is now sitting. Maybe she was there beforehand. I don't know for sure. But she is sitting in fifth in the Disc Golf Pro Tour sets. Hey, hey, I, Johnny, I do have a great idea. Next level stuff. What's up, Tara? Oh, my gosh. So to all my friends out there at UDisc, I just thought of this moments ago. Have like the Nico arrows. Have the Nico arrows next to the standings. And I'm sure you're going to tell me there's some really smart reason why that can't happen. But it would be kind of cool if it did. And I'm sure it would maybe make more confusion or not for people. I don't know. There's a probably a key or um, something you could reference. But yeah. In looking at the stats, I see, of course, all of our qualified players and, and where the, all the stats range from hundred or from 1st to 194th on the FPO side. It'd be really cool next to the name 
on the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings page on UDisc. Just have a little uh, arrow, and uh, that would imply where they went up or down since the previous event. If we call them Nico arrows now, is it because someone got suspended? I'm not sure. Ouch. I don't uh, think we want to go no. there. What, honestly, and I, I'm sure this is something that's in UDisc's future at some point, I would love to see almost like a time slider on something like this. So I can literally go back and mm, almost see where they were, where they were. So if I go back like a hey, week one, you can see everybody kind of move around and the Nico arrows change based on where it is. Again, that's, that's some next level stuff, but yeah, uh, I'm and, not, uh, I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't know web stuff. That and way. I am not about to call you out. You disc, but I'm oh, calling no, you we're out. Calling them out. <laughs> yes, we are. I can't Matt, believe you Josh, don't have yeah. You two brainiacs. Uh, real probably quick. have it by the end of the show now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and real quick, uh, it, and it's a very fair question, and so we will touch on it quickly. Uh, Carolina Chainmanger asks, why are they called Nico Arrows? And the story to that is that uh, a few years ago at the Waco Annual the Waco. Charity Open, uh, Nico LaCastro had missed his tea time. He had showed up late to his round. And in doing so... Uh, he showed up, and then he received par plus four, I believe was the for penalty at the time, for a couple of holes. But then he started birdieing everything. I, I don't have the time to go look in when and where this was, uh, the like which round and what year. I'm going to guess like 2017, yeah. but anyway, um, 16 or 17. Oh, not the first year, probably. Might have been 18. Maybe. Anyway, one of those years, somebody smarter than me can go research that, and... When he showed up, I feel like he started just birdieing like left he, and right. And did. so you saw him with all these penalty strokes and was pushed way at the bottom. But then you saw him shooting up the leaderboard and continuing to climb. Now, clearly, he had dug himself quite the hole taking the, the, the penalty strokes initially. Uh, but then that was the conversation of like, well, we want to see how much did he move in the day? You know, where did he start? How high did he climb? And then next thing you know, UDisc had created these arrows, or maybe they had them in the works. But um, now you see arrows next to everyone's name during a live event, and that's showing the positions in which they've moved up or down, um, or not, if there's no arrow there. And so uh, I feel like the impetus to the, the whole conversation about watching somebody move and wanting to know how many spots they had either gained or, or lost uh, came as maybe a, a need, a direct result to fulfill that need of that Nico conversation. So n- nothing nefarious or, no, or negative in any capacity. In fact, it was quite a uh, a compliment in the sense that he was, we were watching him shoot up this leaderboard, uh, you know, and making up the ground after showing up and taking those uh, taking those bogey strokes or those over par strokes. So. Yeah, that's that's where the phrase Nico Arrows comes from. That is where it comes from. So Okay. Anyway, so uh let's 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 continue with FPO action and talk about all the people that Missy did beat, which was everybody. Um she uh, she beat them all. Yeah. She beat Own, she beat Lisa Fakus, she beat Kristen Tatar, Paige Pierce, Alexis Mondahano. Katrina Allen, Madison Walker, uh, Katie Tate, Alan Hanley, Sarah Holcomb. Those are your top 10 women that she beat. Read all. I want you to read every other woman. <laughs> Everyone. Okay. Other 40. I'm kidding. Alex Benson. Uh, Maria, so. No, uh, everybody. She beat everybody. Congratulations. But those are your top 10 finishers. Um, Own continues to impress. She was on a uh, on a <laughs> quite literally at one point. They got a bender earlier in the week. Uh, it was Own's birthday as well. Someone said she showed up to the uh, the the press conference 
and people had been buying her drinks beforehand. And uh, nothing wrong with a little soda. Uh, nothing wrong with a little soda before the press conference. <laughs> um, but I, oh, I'm mad that I was in another part of the uh, pub, an eatery, bar and grill, whatever, mashies. I was in another part of it as the press conference was taking place. Mm-hmm. So other than a few chuckles from time to time from a distance, I didn't hear anything that was being said at the press conference. But it sounds as if I should have made my way over to uh, to listen to own. Uh, during that presser, oh, that's she, that's she had a good time. That's what Gary had was said. Was having a good time. She had, she was uh, she was having <laughs> and a continued pretty good time. to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, and Owen Scoggins was on a heater at the end of that final round. Um, she bogeyed the second hole and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight birdies in the next like sixteen, only to get stuck on hole eighteen with a uh, a double. Ultimately, the double ended up not mattering because she wasn't be able to catch Missy no matter what she did. Even if she birdied that hole, she is still um, she, she's still three strokes behind Missy. So ultimately, it didn't matter. But you could tell Owen was frustrated at the very end of the round um, only because of that. And then she still had a great smile and a bow at the end of the round or something like that. So she you know, went on to shoot a five under par. Lisa Fakus, same thing in the middle of the round. She was just she was getting close. She was getting very close. And then proceeded to go bogey, bogey, bogey to finish. It just, nobody was catching Missy. It didn't matter what any of these other women were shooting. Um, Paige Pierce was the only one that had a chance, and she kind of ruined that halfway through the round when she took three straight bogeys on five through seven. After that point, it was just as long as Missy didn't implode, she was winning this event. And she proceeded, obviously, not to implode and play consistent Missy golf, which is what she does. So... Congratulations to Missy Gannon again. Well, uh, and I'm just now realizing it was in fact a tie for third. And I'm going to dig mm-hmm. in just a little bit. Somebody can, I'm sure, correct me. I think that tie for third is partially significant for Kristen in that she has not taken worse than third. She's in- never finished off the podium in the U.S. Uh, no, she finished this at year. Worlds. This year, at this well, this, this is year, easy to check. Folks. This year, <laughs> she has not finished worse than third at an elite series or better in the in the U.S. Okay, I, I'm trying to think of a graphic that I saw uh, a and, few broadcasts ago, and thinking about yeah, just how mm-hmm. dominant and how much she's been. Because she in, took third, and I believe she took third at uh, Las Vegas, and then she proceeded to take second, second. First, first, or something like not she, quite, but yeah, she, she's only almost only gotten yeah, better. Yeah, she's at finished Elite on the podium every single event this year that she's mm-hmm. com- excuse me completed. She did have to withdraw from Tooney, um, mm-hmm. but she has finished on the podium. And I'm going to go back to last year, her fifth place finish at Worlds. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking of. Her fifth place finish at Worlds was the only time she's finished outside of the top three. <laughs> in the last three years i'm all, i'm all the way back to 2019 uh was she even in, was she even in the states in 2019 for dgpt events? um she finished fifth at the european open in 2019 that's the only other time <laughs> since 2019 to go along with the 2021 worlds <laughs> that she's finished fifth uh and then the only other time before that was when she finished eighth at the PDGA World Championships hmm. in 2018. So 
Wow. I, I don't know how the stat lines work in Vegas, but to put Kristen Tatar outside bet. of the top three is not a bright idea. Just, yeah, that's that's truly incredible. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I know I, it's so dumb that I'm walking down the fairway, keeping my eyes on the scores and thinking to myself, man, if she finishes in the top three, she keeps that streak going. And I I'm, I guess she probably doesn't even think about silly things like that. She Maybe might, she does. She might have that. But in the back of her I know I was thinking that she had a little help so to see her tied uh, to keep the streak alive is is incredible. Yeah, she had a little help from Paige Pierce, who unfortunately had a, a, a poor round. Up, she, she shot plus three, which is the worst score uh, in the top ten. Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah Holcomb had a worse score in the top ten. Sure. Uh, she took tenth, but, but and that, that's what knocked that down. Although otherwise, she had taken fourth because there was a. It was honestly up until the final hole when Paige took a bogey. Yeah, she would have been tied for second, which would have knocked everybody down, which would have knocked everybody else down. So so Kristen got in there. Uh, Another phenomenal showing was Alexis Mondahano, who shot a course record seven under. um, And we again, we thought Owen Scoggins was going to come back and beat that almost right away, except she double bogeyed at the end to only go to five. Um, She could have had she taken a par, she would have tied it. And Birdie obviously would have beat that. But Alexis Mondahano, just a very consistent round getting you know, a clean scorecard with seven birdies out there is is such a feat. So congratulations to everybody. Let's talk about the men. The silly men. They're just going to rename this to the Ledgestone Waisaki Open. Back to back to back. Three straight Ledgestone wins for Ricky. Um, kind of let some people get close at first. Um. Corey Ellis was kind of knocking on the door as Ricky three through seven, a bunch of pars. And then Ricky put his foot down on the competition and just decided to get a whole bunch of birdies uh, and nobody could keep up with him. Kind of ran away with it as did just like Missy, actually. So he he won by four strokes over Paul Macbeth, who. I swear every time we saw Paul was he was having struggles. Mm-hmm. But then you go back and look at his scorecard. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy shot a six down. Like it. He has. Well, because I, it's, you think it's of, ridiculous. You it's, think of a whole like whole four mm-hmm. for, that comes to mind for me, at least. And I'm I'm over there watching him and he has a putt from about 45 feet yep. straight down the hill, a death putt. You know, that's definitely going to carry deep if you don't connect with something firmly. And it wasn't the prettiest putt he he made all weekend, but he puts it in from 45 feet on this death putt. And you're like, oh, okay. And Mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, that was to save a par, though. So it's easy to immediately be thinking like, well, what's going on? It felt like a lot of times we were cutting to Paul. He was struggling because and and I think that might just be the fact that Paul makes things look very easy, just as does Ricky. And so when he's on the chase card like that and, and you check in. It, it you know oh Paul's struggling let's show it you know that's kind of feels in the control room you know shoulda woulda coulda's but Paul had five penalty strokes that final round those without those five Paul's in the lead mm-hmm. but then again maybe Ricky wouldn't have done what he did on seventeen with a little uh, with no, a little more pressure I think he pressure. would have <laughs> I, well I mean again you because that I, I have that, a whole theory on seventeen I mean clearly Ricky blew past the putt <laughs> went ob 
Who passed the hit puck? Nana in the leg. And then, <laughs> who? I, I, I should share it with you. I, I, I almost for the first time in my life posted a video with zero editing straight to my YouTube channel. Ricky gets on the green on 17, which is clearly the toughest part of that hole. You get on the green on 17, and from there, you're like, okay, Uh, worst case scenario, par. Yeah. It's it's always, you know, inside of 30 feet on that that green. So he gets there, and and you see it very clearly on on my recording that I'm just doing with my phone, and you probably could see it in some of the videos. But he's, he's just about ready and lined up and ready to putt, and then all of a sudden directly behind the basket with no other people around one older lady kind of just starts walking directly behind the basket and Ricky pulls back. He waits, he stands down, he stops his routine. He stops and waits for her. She gets pretty much still right in his sight line, gets her camera, her phone up and is sitting there waiting for Ricky to putt. If you go back and check the tapes, Ricky misses the putt, doesn't touch an ounce of metal from inside 30, blows past it by 30 feet, and it hits the lady's leg. (laughs) (laughs) And then then he walks over there, and he's got a very easy comeback, relatively easy. 15 to 20 feet. And he doesn't drop metal on that. If you're crazy if you tell me Somehow, in the silliest minor way, that all didn't work, Ricky. Oh, it probably I mean, did. He probably, again, <laughs> I, I, you put somebody on, Ricky at that point had it locked up. Exactly. You put someone on Ricky's heels, maybe he's a little more focused. Maybe he takes another step off and says, excuse me, ma'am, can you move? Or whatever he decides to do. I, I'm not, you know, that's all woulda, shoulda, coulda's. But very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we didn't. Yeah. So the funny I, thing is we didn't see this because I think we were off to the right on the broadcast. All I remember seeing is Ricky blow past it. I never saw the woman there. Yeah. So I'm I'm showing Johnny now. He He's three. He's two feet above the basket. Oh, it kind of hits her in the toe. Hits her in the in the foot or yeah. whatever. And then he's got to walk over to her. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, yeah, she's, it's, <laughs> well, she's just standing there. She's still got her phone up. And I'm not picking on the lady, but. I just I know mentally that something's going on in Ricky's head. He goes mm-hmm. and has to reclaim his putter after he's he like walk right up to her. Yes. <laughs> How awkward. <laughs> and then he comes back and he's got a very, very makeable putt. Mm-hmm. That and he just he, he, I don't even think he hits metal. No, no, I don't think he does either. He just misses it. Yeah, yeah. He just <laughs> I mean, he he looked like an AM three putting there. For again, a second. he's got all the strokes in the world. It didn't matter. But if you said to to Ricky Waisaki, "Hey, what are the odds you're going to give me that you're going to go bogey free today? But once you hit the island on seventeen, <laughs> you're going to walk away with a double." I mean, seriously, of all the trouble and yeah. all the things that can go wrong on the Eureka course. Mm-hmm. For him to then four putt or three putt plus a penalty, uh, I just I couldn't hold myself back. I was like, oh my gosh! I watched this all unfold right in front of me. So I didn't know what the live camera showed or didn't show. We didn't but- see. I don't believe we saw the woman because I think the <laughs> angle we had it. We we she was probably cut kind of cut off because sure you just don't expect Ricky to miss that or blow past it like he did. Like sure, miss hit high, fall hit low, miss. Not air ball at past 30 feet. So, yeah. well, congratulations again, obviously, to Ricky Wysocki, who, who who takes this down. Uh, third place. The, the kid is. He might be the most consistent golfer on tour. Gannon Burr. OK, he he, 
he can't win an elite series, but to hell if he's not top five mm-hmm. every single event. And I think I don't know if he's going to I don't want to say I think he's going to get one this year. I don't know if he will. He's going to get one soon, whether it's the end of this year, early next year. That kid is too good and too consistent uh, not to get one. And I know we usually wait till our after show to do our picks, which we haven't done in years. Um, <laughs> yep, that's that's why we usually it, wait. If if you're not subscribed to Alden Harris's YouTube channel, you are missing, th- I think, the best disc golf content on the internet right now. Better, wow. better, better than, than way better than our show. Better than our show. Better than <laughs> any other podcast. Better than shot by shot stuff. Uh, Alden Harris is touring with uh, Gannon Burr, I believe Isaac Robinson, and uh, I think one or two other guys pop in or out. Alden, I think, has some of the best YouTube content. Have you watched any of his stuff? I, I haven't. It's, and, and in it's all fairness, hilarious. I don't watch anyone. No, no. It's yeah, hilarious. So. Like, you, you talk about how Silas Schultz has great content, I think, mm-hmm. on Instagram and stuff. I love watching Alden Harris's stuff. And it's it's now my life goal to get on one of Alden Harris's YouTube. Dang. <laughs> oh, they, do, <laughs> they do a fake interview at the end of, I think, every event. <laughs> and so there's like... The, the Mid America Open one was hilarious because Gannon was—he's clearly self-actualizing uh, his the, the time he took at the Mid America Open because the whole interview is him sitting next to Alden who had just won, and and Gannon talking about how he's going to penalize Alden from letting him take so long for letting Gannon take so long okay. and all this stuff—it's great, great, great content. And usually the videos are like fifteen, ten, ten to fifteen minutes. Well worth your time. Ah, so I, I'm now going to have to go. You definitely. Please. Alden Harris's YouTube. Um, fourth place. Anthony Barella. Uh, just again, he's kind of like he's not as consistent as Gannon Burr, but he's got all the skills. And I think at one point that kid's going to be able to find focus and put it together because uh, his uh, let me if if his scorecard was a roller coaster, it, it'd be scary. It'd be a yeah. scary roller coaster. It'd probably make me sick. Uh Fifth place, Corey Ellis having another good, still another good season. Just the guy's an amazing putter. Matt, Matty O tied for fifth. Kyle Klein, seventh. Chris Clemens and uh, Randon Lada, eighth. And 10th place, Calvin Heimberg and Drew to the Gibson. Those are your MPO competitors that placed well. Okay. And congrats to all of them. Also, uh, of course, a few other. Conversation pieces. Uh, how how far did Kevin Jones? He eagled sixteen. I heard he eagled sixteen. Um, uh, just hit. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, he he was only like. Oh oh okay. I'm th- I'm not thinking of the same hole. I was thinking of uh, fourteen. I apologize. I'm like, how, wow. How far did you throw that in from? Okay, yeah, sixteen is it's a good. Is, you, yeah. you hit a good eagle roller. Ball. Yeah, yeah you, good roller. Good roller. Okay. We've seen we've seen double G in years past go past the yeah. hole with a roller and then miss the comeback. So, Amazing. Uh, real quick, a number of other big shout outs and uh, special shots. What do we see? GT Hancock with an ace. We saw. Uh, Erica Stinchcomb getting her first ace. I believe she said in 14 years. Was it 11 years on hole 14 or was it 14 years on hole 11? Um, she, I had heard it was her very yeah, first Yeah, it was on ace. hole 11, so it was 14 years. So. Yeah, she's never had an ace of any kind. Not you know, not just a tournament ace. Not not a casual ace, not, not a, a second casual throw ace. ace. Nope. So congratulations to Erica Stinchcomb. Not a brown ace, um, not a black ace, not nope. a red ace, not a, nope. you know. 
whatever other kind of aces there are. Not yeah, skip you've ace. been maced more times than she's had aces. <laughs> right. uh, anyway, um, I've never been maced. <laughs> sure. Uh, huh. Nobody thinking, here believes that. I'm just thinking nobody how much that would sting. Nobody here believes that. <laughs> just thinking how much that would sting. Um, uh, GT Hancock. Uh, who else had aces out there? There, were, uh, there, were there was of five them. of them, I think, when it was all said and done. Um, uh, uh, also on this on the exact same hole, hole seven that GT Hancock got. Oh, Chandler Chandler Fry got an ace. Emerson Keith got an ace. Now, yeah. and that's where I was going with this. Albatross for Holland Hanley. Phenomenal. Um, I I was certainly concerned, and I even said this with Holland, and I said it immediately after it happened. The, I worried uh, that too many people would immediately say, oh, that's a soft par five. That's not a real par five. That's not an albatross. And she said she did see some of that. I mean, but thankfully, you could, it wasn't it, it did not that did not dominate over the story of her getting it because I worried it would because let's face it we got a lot of jerks out there sure that just can't possibly be happy for for things to happen cool then almost anytime someone throws one in for an albatross that's a soft par Philo's is a soft par then Uh, no no I don't think it no I I don't think it has to be if, if you can get there here's what I say if you can get to a green in two shots and it's a par five then by definition it is a soft par and I and I'm not I'm not I'm 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 not putting it down by any means. I think it's phenomenal. I think it is a par five. It is. But what I'm saying is that that's the argument that people have. Well, you can get there in two shots, so it shouldn't be a par five. Congratulations. That's what you know. That's what it is. No. Well, when I looked the last time I had looked, that whole averaged. 4.92 that sounds for like that a par round. five to me so that's a par five to me anyway the point is congrats to holland she's um, phenomenal and then you know thinking about because I, I think that fell maybe on the day after maybe it was day two but it had fallen on and and come about after there were a bunch of aces and then it was really an interesting perspective i don't know if it was maybe jeff to from the pdj it was somebody i was speaking with at the event and thought wait a minute how much more unique is an albatross? I mean, hole in ones happen every day, not mm-hmm. only in disc golf, but even in Ball golf, golf. Yeah. All the time. And not to t- again take anything away from them, but if you're looking at legitimate we, uh uniqueness and we, and rarities, the albatross is so much more rare. Yeah. I mean, we get an albatross on tour about every two years. At an elite series. Is it that event. often? About that. I mean, because we had we had double G's in Vegas two years ago. Which was an ace, yep. Which was an ace. I mean, whole it's an ace, but it's still an albatross. It's an ace on a par four. Um there was Nico's at USDGC. Yeah, we, we see them about and then I think two years before that we see it's about every two years we see an albatross on tour. Like on, at, at a major or elite series. So clearly much rarer than a hole in one. Yeah. Which we see weekly. Uh, Tom out on the board says Dan Schlitter got an ace on hole seven at Northwood. So, yeah, certainly we're throwing that in there as well. So number of aces uh, throughout the weekend. But Holland Hanley's albatross. Very, very cool. So congrats to her. Um, Worth a separate note for sure. It is definitely a separate note. Um, Let's talk about the uh, the big controversy on the weekend. The which one? The not so falling putt. Mm. 
from Paige Pierce. Let me check my video. <laughs> uh, we trust me. I think everybody has seen it. We we showed it a lot of times on the broadcast. The story behind the story is Paige Pierce obviously was lining up for her putt. She threw her putt, and then her left hand. She didn't fall forward exactly. She kind of maintained balance, but then used her left hand subtly and kind of pushed herself back. Kind of one fluid motion. It never once looked like she lost her balance, but she kind of had her hand there and pushed it back. Now, the tree was like literally lined up exactly with her mini. The, The back of the tree closest to her was behind her lie. The front of the tree, it looked like, was in front of her lie. Her mini was like right lined up with that tree. Now, again, this is what I'm seeing from the camera angles we have. And as we know, never, never trust cameras for distance, for angle, for anything. It's why they can't be used in rule calling. Um, they lie. They clearly show things that are, are skewed. It just you can't add weight. They, they, they add so much weight to us. <laughs> um, you, you just can't trust them, but I trust my eyes and what I saw. I'm going to go based on the video evidence I saw and H Pierce ca- called a falling putt. And she also kind of bumped her mini with her foot, mm. which it was hard to tell if she actually hit the mini with her foot or a stick that maybe popped the mini up. I, she, she wasn't talking about that as far as I, I was under mm. the impression she immediately called herself on a falling putt. But as per PDGA rules, which are now bad in my opinion, you cannot call yourself on a falling putt. It has to be second. You can call yourself, but it has to be seconded. Yeah. And they, nobody saw. And again, I don't blame, I don't blame her competitors because it was subtle. And, the, and from where they were standing, it was hard to see her hand kind of brace herself against the tree. And if I'm a competitor, I'm probably watching feet or balance. Like, oh, did she fall forward? No, she didn't. Her feet didn't go past the mini. I didn't see a falling putt if I were her competitor. So not seeing that, I can completely understand. I don't blame her competitors at all. Um, They get to the next hole. There's discussion about it. Because you can't call yourself on a second... At some point, Paige more or less says, hey, guys, I, I, I want to take the penalty stroke because I don't want to be called a cheater. Because everybody in the world sees it. And I think we're having, she was probably having some sort of flashbacks to Utah Worlds when she missed the Mando over and nobody called it. Because sure. nobody could see it from where they were. It was a funny angle. She probably didn't see it. Nobody else there saw it. But the cameras clearly showed it. It went over by a few inches. Jeff Spring steps in and says, okay, fine. I'll second the call, which at that point for me in the control room, I immediately went, can he do that? That can he do it that late? Can he do it when he admitted he didn't see it? The falling putt. He obviously saw the putt, but he didn't, he couldn't verify that it was an actual falling putt. Um, the, at that point, then she gets the penalty stroke. It's put on her card a couple holes later. Um, Jeff, they're continuing to talk about it throughout the round. Jeff is talking to a 
the, the official as far as what exactly happened. At some point, they determined that the call, that it was not the correct call for a falling putt because her hand, because the tree was technically behind her lie. Um, and, and so they remove the stroke. Is this kind of, am, am I sure. right yep. in all okay. of this so far? Um, and that's kind of that. That's the story. Now, the, the issue I take with it, a couple things, and I, I think, <laughs> I think if you asked him, Jeff would probably regret seconding it in the first place based on some of, because at some point there, something came out that it was, I think a statement was released saying that Jeff had temporarily seconded it sure and then withdrew the seconding later which i'd never heard of i don't really know if you can do that officially but there's a lot of the rule book i don't know so maybe that's true maybe whatever um because i think that sets a bad precedent in general being able to withdraw a second later in the round for any reason if imagine someone seconds something a falling putt on hole three you get towards hole 17 it gets really tight. I'm going to withdraw that second. And then you lose that stroke. That stroke comes back to you. Like uh, it's to, to help maybe help yeah, a I friend. It was a deeper conversation with, I'm sh- with talking to the there. I'm sure there the, was the, the, the tournament official in talking to him as to correct. Um, what the call would be. And then the tournament official can overrule or or, yes. or hear an appeal or overrule what's being called uh, out there. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, the tournament official had stepped in, who is not Nate, by the way, in nope. case anyone's asking. Um, it is someone else. And so the tournament official had then overruled it, which uh, he had then essentially, and, and then Paige was, and you probably saw her on camera, Thinking or motioning as if she had fallen behind her or to the side. And I think Paige was even a little confused as to what constitutes a falling putt. Oh, for sure. I believe and so, she was wrong. She was in the wrong to so call it's, herself It's for a kind of an putt. interesting precedent overall of, I mean, there's so many other bigger questions that come as a result of this. A, should you be able to call yourself on a stance violation? Yes. If it, if it involves, a personally, in my opinion, if it involves an immediate stroke, I believe you should be able to. Because it used to be that you couldn't do it because you could then reput mm-hmm. without a penalty on the first time. on the first tr- on the first time. So if you fell forward purposefully, so to speak, if you if you missed your putt then fell forward, you could retake that putt. Now it's an immediate penalty stroke. I believe that the rules should be reverted back to where you can call yourself at any point on a on a stroke violation. Because there's no reason, there's no advantage you take to calling yourself when you get an immediate penalty stroke. Yeah. There's just none. Like if I'm in the bushes and no one can kind of hardly see me and I throw a putt and fall forward. If I'm like inside 30 feet and this happened 33 feet and I do that, but no one can kind of see it. I should be able to walk out of that bush and goes, Hey guys, I fell forward on that. Give me the penalty. I'll take the penalty stroke. I think that should be allowed personally. Now that the rules are changed. I agreed with the rules before I agreed with the rules. Then uh, with the change, but now that we've changed them again, I think that they should be reverted back to the original change. That made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that poses, of course, one of the first and foremost questions is, like you just said, anything that results in an immediate penalty for yourself, should you have to get a second on it? Um, and then also, 
it does bring up just I think an over uh, a bigger question of like <laughs> if a rule or ruling is made on the course that is deemed appropriate at the time by either one or more players on the course, but then is later then wants to be either retracted or wiped off or or appealed, like just making it crystal clear what those mm-hmm. options and procedures really are. Oh, yeah. I mean, because let's let's put it this way. If you. Yeah, it, it just it. I think about so many scenarios of you and someone else on your card think something is one way. It gets marked and played that way. If it's not under some type of provisional, you know, yeah, provision or something of that nature, and then it's turned in, and then you can't come back the next day and be like, "Oh, well, actually," I mean, it just it sets itself up for so much more confusion. And- I'm just curious how the official that made this call, what was discussed with him to make the call, because unless the official was on site, there's. Did they say, oh, yeah, the page braced herself on a tree that was behind her lie? Like, was that was that told to him? Because if that's the case, then cool. I mean, I, I don't think the official watched the video. No, he Can't. he did not. Yeah. No. So how was that information relayed to them? Because I I don't know if if any of them on the card realized I didn't realize the rule that if the tree is behind your lie, you can brace yourself on it. I didn't know that. I thought you could not support yourself with anything other than the ground, you couldn't grab a tree or anything, but that's only if it's in front of your lie. And on top of that, it was interesting because, like I said, the tree encompassed her lie. It was behind it and in front of it. So it kind of comes down to that old myth rule where, you know, hey, the tree for the doubt. No, no, no. The trees on the bank of the river and the branch rolls over the rivers. But I hit the branch. So the branch is really in bounds. That whole old uh, wives tale and it's like no you you were out of bounds so i didn't understand personally that because the tree portion of her was closest that she was in so i was completely unaware of how the rule was officially run um which is i'm glad i'm not an official (laughs) yeah it um it was a, a a very interesting uh just unfolding and i think it it's an eye opener and clearly, this has such significant implications. I mean, here Paige is trying to give herself a penalty stroke because that's what she felt like was the right and, and correct application of the rules. And then later, um, you know, they're having a, a more detailed conversation and then realizing, wait, I was either misinterpreting or mm-hmm. misapplying this rule and let's get it straightened out now. And of course, they wanted to do it then on, I think it was 15, yep. the second time. It, the The... And the issue happened on 11. Correct. And I don't remember what hole. Maybe it was 13. I don't remember. But they wanted to get it figured out just in case this thing came down to a stroke or two difference yeah. on the final hole. Now, as we determined with Paige relative to Missy, that didn't matter. Missy squished her. But you clearly don't want this lingering because they could be both staring at, you know, approach shots on the tee of 18. Wondering. Un, uh, uh, yeah, unknowing how this might get called later. I think the other lesson that was that was definitely learned here was there was almost this odd pressure of, well, let's make a call and worry about it later when it, when it was first discussed on the tee of 12 or right after 11. Uh, it happened on 11. And I think in hindsight, there should have been a longer lengthier discussion especially considering they're the last group Mm -hmm. uh of the day but they 
I think everyone feels like, wait, we should have nailed this the very first time rather than going to the next tee, having the conversation, and then almost... They didn't table it by any means, but they made a decision that might have been a little in haste. I think that was the big takeaway. I I think there was just... I mean, clearly there was pressure. And let me just say this. The score ended up as the right score. What happened was correct in the long run. But at the end of the round, what Paige got what she, quote-unquote, deserved to get, the score that she earned. Um, I just think there was a lot of pressure from Paige for someone to make that call because she had even kind of hinted at a courtesy violation for her card mates for not watching. Yeah, and but, that but was... Like, uh, and again, I, I it would I don't think it would have ever come to that. But no, but you know, she in light of her wanting the correct application mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of frustration. That's when you heard and, her utter something along the lines of, "Well, maybe I should give you guys all warning for not watching me." But that's just it. Like as when I said, and I think that was a little hasty on Paige's part. I think she was a little frustrated. Yeah, yeah she clearly, was, she and was I can understand being a little hyperbolic. Be, I think because of the the past history of things that have, people have said about her, whether it's. You know, that call from Utah Worlds or I know people have, you know, freeze framed her jump putts and things like that. So there's there's a there's a history of this with Internet people. Um, Either way. Yeah, I I just I don't have. um, I hope this changes or clears up or again points to something with the rules that we can fix. I think. I, th- I, th- I think that's, you know, I, I think that is a good, and I don't blame her. Like I said, from Paige's perspective, I don't blame her competitors, man. It was hard to see. It was hard to see her balance on that tree, push herself off slightly with her left hand. It almost didn't even look like I didn't notice she did it on the first pot. I had to go back when we watched it in replay and see that, yes, it was her left hand about um, just about waist high that kind of touched the tree. Yeah. You couldn't even tell she pushed herself back from it or if it just rested there. So I, I don't blame. I, I'm, I'm the first, not the first, but I'm one of the people that are like, yeah, you should definitely as a competitor be watching your players, watching other players and what they're doing and what they're throwing and this and that. You could have watched her twice or three times and not seen that. So yeah. I, I, I don't blame the competitors. It, it is tough. And, you know, I know we always beat this horse of, you know, that's why we need Marshalls, marshals, marshals on every single hole, Some guy named every Marshall. single, every single shot, every single hole. In, in this case, uh, Jeff Jaqua had said, he's like, I, I had two cameramen directly in front of me. I, I didn't see what she was mm-hmm. referencing. And I'm not saying like, oh, well, you know, everybody's always going to be blocked. Of course, they want to be seeing the action. But there's going to be times where somebody moves into place. Next thing you know, whether it's a cameraman or a spotter or a scorekeeper or a uh, uh um, a caddy. Yeah. You might not be in the perfect position or even just like a, as a camera person, I think about like, I would have loved to have moved about six inches or 12 inches from where I was mm-hmm. uh, to get the shot that I was getting. But Paige was set up and ready to go at that point. I'm like, well, I'm not moving. So this is the still. shot I get. So it's, it's, uh, there's going to be a human element, no matter to what we're doing out there. Clearly we want to always get the right and the best, correct calls but mm. it you could put two marshals on every single hole and i'm not sure we're not gonna 
I'm sure we're still going to have oddities that come up from time to time. It's just, it's going to happen. Yeah. So for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's quickly, uh, we can jump all off, off of all of Ledgestone. Congrats. Congrats to all of the players. You know, I think when it was all said and done, congrats to the TD, congrats to, yeah, you know, 2200 ish competitors. Yeah. $150,000 raised for St. Jude. Uh, to clarify, uh, raised and then split among a number of charities, St. Jude being one of them, Paul yeah. Macbeth Foundation being one of them. I believe Edge was also a recipient uh, in some capacity. I don't know the exact division of how they were all split. I don't care if one of them got 149000 and the other <laughs> two each got $500. I don't personally care. I don't know the details. Nonetheless, I think, I think uh, Nate and the event, if I recall, has now prior to this week had already given a cumulative total of something like 320,000 to St. Jude. So I I'm guessing he didn't say, Oh, here's, here's 900 this year, $900 this year. <laughs> so I don't know how it got divided up. It really doesn't matter. I saw somebody almost hinting at some negativity around worrying about the split and around worrying about the 150 grand and and the the various you know uh how equitable the the distribution was or wasn't i'm not gonna say go jump in a lake but what a problem for us to be arguing about on the internet right well where's that 150,000 going among those three nonprofit charities when i want the receipts 99% of tournaments 99.9% of tournaments don't have a total budget of $150,000 and the ledgestone crew this year donated $150,000 just to charities i I said this to Nate's mom. Of course right. you did. Of course you <laughs> no, did. No, we were talking. She she genuinely had asked as we were kind of packing some things up on Sunday. And she's like, you know, it's really cool, this and that. And I said, it's amazing. I said, I worry, Nate, with what the Ledgestone event has done in this 320 or now almost $500,000 total. I worry it almost that he's desensitized us because I think about... A five or a 10 or a $50,000 check going to any organizations and how insane that is for normal disc golf. Mm -hmm. And now for him and the event to be giving multiple years worth that are totaling over six figures or totaling six figures. I think we've almost, he's almost desensitized people like, Correct. No, this that, is not normal, people. The fir- like, I can't scream this loud enough. The this first is not year normal. That we saw that it was a big deal. Oh my god! Look how much money he's donating to charity. It's, the, the second year, it was like, oh, cool, he's got another big check. This year, I felt like it was hardly mentioned. It, we cut in. Literally, we watched it in picture in picture. A bunch of cute kids, a check being handed to somebody while commercials were playing. That's how desensitized we are to it. And whether that's our fault, the media's fault for not pumping that up more, whether it's Nate's fault for not promoting it more, whether it's um, just everybody's fault for not caring enough. I I don't know where the where the where the blame is supposed to be thrown. If there should be any blame should. I mean, I'm going to say this. Should we be celebrating that? I think, of course, it's always great to. But in general, like, cool that these are big accomplishments. This is great. 
I, I, it's unfortunate for Nate, but this has now become old hat for him. It's like, cool. Yeah. Nate, Nate, yeah. Nate is donating another big check to the, to, you know, a bunch of needy kids. Uh, you know? I'll, I'll just say, <laughs> I, I absolutely will just say it's, it's insane. Um, I think about years and years of running small to medium sized tournaments. And if I added up five or eight or 10 years of hosting tournaments, my entire event operating budget has not equaled $150,000. So to know that that is entirely a charitable donation from one single year um, is, is absolutely just, it's just incredible. So I did want to get that in there. Um, Huge shout out to Nate. Yeah. And, and everyone from the Ledgestone crew, you know, and, and that includes the local St. Jude uh, hospital that sends people over to help staff, uh, some of the event to then help uh, take donations and to help run raffles and to do those things. And then they're there in a number of, uh, they're not just there to show up and collect a check. Um, although that's, you know, the warm and fuzzies, they're also there doing a, a, a number of other things throughout the week. So just, uh, just crazy. I, you know, I guess maybe another bigger question for another day is, is, you know, uh, 11, nine or 11 or 15 courses and 2,200 people. Is that just too much of a, of a, I don't want to say carnival. Is an that just too much of an affair and a, and a undertaking in the first place? But I think that's a, a longer story for another day. So, um, and then also maybe in, in within regular news and maybe it's after show worthy as well, but, uh, just a f- couple hours ago, Paul McBath throwing out a first pitch at the Chicago White Sox game tonight. Uh, of course, we saw that a few, actually just a few weeks ago. Have, have, uh, you, have you seen the pitch? Yes, it was. Oh, uh, I was going to say, first of all, I, want, I was going to have you guess, uh, did, he get, did he get it to the catcher? Mm. Now, P- Paul is a former uh, uh, standout, standout high school baseball player, I believe. Yes. Um, and, and But usually they don't let you take the mound. So sometimes, did the catcher catch it, unlike Ricky's? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me the tell me the oh. details, Terry. Oh, I, I I think it would be cool for us to even show it at some point. But um, I'd have to. Find yeah, it, it was. Uh, so he had run out to the mound, and this is I think from maybe Hannah's perspective. Uh, but he ran out to the mound and uh, threw the pitch through what looked to be a really solid pitch. From what I could see of the catcher, he indicated as if it was a strike. I don't know if he just does that for everybody. Uh, but he goes out there, throws the pitch. And then shortly up on the jumbo screen is a 20 or 30 second uh, Paul McBeth uh, disc golf montage. Oh, he nailed it. He yeah, went, he it went w- straight down, straight down uh, home plate. Yeah, it was a, a solid looking pitch. And then, like I said, on the jumbotron, they show a, a, a montage of various Paul McBeth shots and uh, ends with make moves, make moves. So, um you know, and then immediately I started thinking, well, is there any, is there any, um, branding or advertising that, you know, that's why it was relatively, I don't want to say it wasn't bland. It was a well put together, like couple of shots, but there I, was no major pro tour or discraft. Like you got to wonder if there's just some other rights or branding or something oh, that, that I don't know, but it was limited. I, I'd be willing to bet that this had a lot to do with Dylan Cease. You think? Yeah. Who is, wow, a, who is a pitcher? Well, I'm, I'm explaining it for the listeners. Okay. Who uh, Who is a pitcher for the White Sox, a friend of Paul McBath, who came to the 
celebrity pro event last year did not make it this year due to the timing um and it is a very avid disc golfer and a very good one at that nonetheless so uh and honestly right now probably the best pitcher in the major leagues which yeah. is kind of crazy yeah, so, and as you were just saying, Ricky Waisaki uh, over at the uh, Cincinnati Reds game a few weeks ago, just before the Idlewild, also had thrown out a first pitch. So kind of cool to see our uh, top-level athletes out there um, getting this really cool honor to be able to do. Other um, disc golfers in the news, so to speak, uh, Ricky Waisaki got a shout-out on the Pat McAfee show. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not a fan of the Pat McAfee show in general. Okay. Like, uh, it just, what, what is it like for the listeners? Um, I mean, it, how would you describe what's the, uh, it's, it's, it's feels like, I mean, it's an interview slash call in show. I mean, radio slash internet based very much a, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it, it feels very much of the right now internet, like how it, how it's uh, produced and things like that. I just, I, I don't, he, Pat McAfee does a lot of, I just don't like his personality, I think. Oh. Okay. Like, like I, I think the show is fine. Oh, he has great. good interviews. Smashbox isn't getting any <laughs> shout-outs anytime Aaron, soon. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers comes on all the time because I think he's friends with Pat McAfee. And uh, and he gets all sorts of great interviews, and he has a lot of he's very knowledgeable. I just don't like just the style. Just it doesn't it doesn't suit me. Just doesn't suit me. So but either way, somebody called in and bit more or less disc golf came up right away, and the guy <laughs> the guy who talked about it, uh a little off in some of his facts as he had say, he's like, yeah, I think Paul McBeth is like a six time world champ and Ricky's three time. And I'm like, mm. Nope, you missed them both, buddy. Uh, uh, one he's off given on more board. than they are. So that's good. <laughs> he's, at least he's, he's not, undercutting he's not, he's not shortchanging. And Pat McAfee just kept asking like, well, what's your rating? And it, and as our ratings are, it's hard to describe to someone who doesn't understand how ratings are. Like sure. I'm a, I'm because when the guy's like, I'm like a 900 rated player and, and Pat McAfee's like 900. Mm. And it's like, wow, that's big. And, it didn't really seem to flow through when it was like, well, no, the best guys are like a thousand and fifty and a thousand and forty, and where the difference between nine hundred and you know, because if you think if you go zero to nine hundred, that's a huge gap, but nine hundred to a thousand fifty, that's only one hundred and fifty <laughs> points. When yeah. really, that's it's a world. Of that's difference. the world of difference. So I think our rating system is very difficult to explain to people. Either way, a few shout outs of some disc golfers' names as they brought up a a, a ranking list, and of course Ricky was at the top of it. There was a talk about Ricky being from Ohio, and they scrolled through and mentioned some other names, which was kind of cool. So that is other disc golfers in the news. Okay, uh, I want to read a few uh, quick th- or something quick, just hot off the presses from our friend Dinko over in Varazdin. Croatia. He says, uh, and I knew of this going down, but I'm going to just read exactly what he sent me, which is the WFDF, WIFDF, uh, World Flying Disc Federation. World Team Event, Team Disc Golf Championship starts today in Varazdin, Croatia. Beautiful town. I've been there. Competing national teams are Australia, Canada, Colombia, USA, and 21 European nations. Each team consists of 6 to 12 players. So this is one of the largest meetups of disc golfers from all over the world. A great experience for all competitors. USA represented by Sabrina Williams, Dana Litt, Fene Buchanan, Billy Lund. They let him? They let him out of the country? Billy. Uh, Chris Vila, 
and Ervilla and Kevin Gleason, who just celebrated his birthday, I believe, yesterday. Support your team and find out some lovely flo- photos on the event Parade of Nations at, and then they put a link out there, which I'll share as well. Round one matches start today, and the USA is in Pool D with Austria, Croatia, Colombia, Hungary, and Switzerland. Top four teams from all four pools move to the knockout out second stage and new world champions finland is reigning champion will be announced on saturday so listen boys very and girls, cool you don't win this don't come home <laughs> i'm just saying yes i'm gonna so i'm gonna put that in our <laughs> chat uh yeah no that's awesome it, it's it's pretty cool uh i i'm just gonna take a guess never seen the movie is that good morning vietnam by with robin williams I have no, is, is that is that a I reference? Oh no, it's not a reference to anything. I was, oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. I thought there was some reference there. No, I mean m- maybe it isn't. I subtly s- <laughs> you just stole it. I stole it and I don't realize it. But yeah, no, I'm just it's just a joke. If you don't win, don't come home. Mm. Um, other PDGA news. Wait, that's from Armageddon, isn't it? <laughs> well, that, they, they weren't coming home um, if they didn't win. PDGA announces several annual awards. Is the what? headline the Volunteer of the Year, Mark Stevens. Maybe it's Stefan's, but I'm pretty sure it's Stevens. No, Stevens, who we just saw at uh, D-Glow a few weeks ago. Correct. Uh, the Brent Hambrick Tournament Director of the Year, Tim Barr. Congratulations. The 2021 Bob West Sportsman Award, Paul Ulibarri. Congratulations, Paul. Those are your three awards that were handed out today. So uh, congratulations to all three of your winners. Yeah, and I was thinking about it earlier in the day, but... We should have an, uh, a running weekly update on our uh, both Rookie of the Year and Player of the Year candidates and uh, those runnings. I feel like I know that Emily Beach, last time I had looked, was she way out up. as a front runner. She's a in locked the, up. She can't In the lose. FPO uh, I think Rookie unle- of the Year. Unless she literally maybe didn't show up and somebody else came back. Some other rookie won a few events. I don't believe Emily Beach can lose it. I think yeah. she's officially statistically locked it up is what I heard. Well, geez. So. So, sorry, other ladies. Okay. Either way. Uh, so, well, may- maybe that's a, a reoccurring theme that we can have uh, moving forward is giving you some of those updates as the year already is into August. Wow, that, that feels crazy in itself. All right, John, do we have anything else for this regular show? I don't believe we do, Terry Miller. Before we go any more off the rails. Off Ray the rails, out there. We've been pretty on point today, uh, Terry. Yeah. Ray out there says he's got topics. He's been scouring and uh, and uh, scurrying all over the internet to give us topics that uh, apparently need more discussing. So, Ray, I hope you've got them, and I hope that we can uh, talk about them in the after show as you slowly feed them to us because we don't do real work here. No, that's what we rely on Ray for. But doing real work was Missy Gannon this weekend along with the Ledgestone crew. So, congratulations to anyone and everyone involved on every level. Uh, you know, I think of of big time listeners and. Uh, Hall of Famer Tom McManus, who was out there hustling around at the Eureka course. I think it was like something like more than 200 volunteers and 85 staff members or upwards of 85 staff members to pull off this event. So just can't say it enough. Take a deep breath. Um, relax. Enjoy whatever it is you need to do to uh, simmer down after this incredible weekend to all of you. Congrats. Three-time champion now in Ricky Wysocki, and also congrats, of course, to Missy Gannon. This has been Podcast 416. That's Johnny V. I'm Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy. We're going to stand down for just a few moments to take a quick break. We'll be back with the after show for some more 
disc golf and non-disc golf related topics. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Acast and Befeller. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.